0: And it says here in Second Corinthians four, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, and the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about on the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, and the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And so as I was studying out some stuff this past week and, and thinking about many different things and uh, all the different stuff that's going on in our world, uh, different things that happen. I was reading the scripture and was thinking, how, how do we honor God in the hard times? Uh, as we, Some of us went to the, the funeral home today and I was there with Rick and his family and Carol. I was thinking, how, how do we honor God in tough times? And the scripture came out to me, uh, if you go down, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. And we are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. And I was looking at that verse, and that's kind of my, my verse where I, I got a lot of this tonight, is honoring God in, in hard times. And here the word glory in verse 6 is the, is the Greek word doxa. And it is also translated in Scripture as honor. So the honor that, that we desire to give God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to give you a little bit of background about this scripture here. At the time of this writing, Paul was being severely attacked. And I won't go into all the detail about Paul. We know the story of Paul. We know what happened with Paul. Um, probably some of the greatest, greatest stories that, that are in the New Testament are about Paul and his missionary journeys and the trips that he was on and, and even his whole transformation Uh, Going on it is something that's an incredible thing and so we see that Paul was being severely attacked and when we think of Paul in scripture Him being attacked almost every piece of scripture that you read about Paul. He's either in jail He's being tormented. uh, He's been cast away. He's in some sort of trouble yet He still is doing what God has called him to do yet. He's still continuing on telling people about Jesus Christ and so between Paul and Job, I kind of get jealous of those two men in the, in the Old and New Testament about how they are, all this stuff is going wrong around them, yet they continue to, you know, follow God through these hard times in their life. And so we see Paul, he is, he is being severely attacked. And his enemies had attacked his credibility as an apostle. Uh, they attacked his ability to communicate with any amount of oratory excellence. And they even attacked his personal appearance. And so how did Paul respond? And our response is typically when people are attacking us in such a way and saying things about us that are, that are false and accusing us of things. We go on the defense really quick, don't we? We get, we get really defensive when people are saying things about us that, that aren't true. When people are saying things and attacking us in such a way. And in today's day and age, it seems like we're constantly in like this verbal attack. People, you turn on the news and it's this attack on each other and Democrats and Republicans and back and forth, this bickering, attacking, and people are constantly having to defend themselves and what's going on. So we see here what Paul does. And our response, like we, like I just said, is to defend ourselves, but that's not what he did. He embraced what they said as something that was legitimate, it's almost like he took that as fuel to not be that way. He took that as them, you know, them saying something about him, taking it almost as, it was, as if it was real, but embracing those things. And further, he claimed that it, that it was these very weaknesses that magnified the power of Christ. And no longer here was the vessel impressive, it was what filled the vessel that became important. And by the way, if God only used impressive vessels, we may find ourselves magnifying the container rather than the Christ that fills that container. Remember, God uses earthen vessels, clay pots, to carry that which is beyond value. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so we have to remember, too, that That God doesn't require us to be sinless to be used. God doesn't require us as as Christians to be sinless to be used. These people, great men in the Bible, I'm going to give you a list of people, men and women of the Bible, that were used of God. If God only required sinless vessels to be used, none of us could ever be used. None of the people in Scripture could have ever been used. Why? Because we are all born into sin. And so I think a lot of times people get this false impression in their mind that if I'm going to serve God, if I'm going to do this thing of God, that I've, that I've got to be sinless. And I want to say something, you're not going to be sinless. Yes, we should sin less, but we should, we're never going to be sinless in our, in, our, in our bodies. Remember, God has not required us to be that way. Abraham, the father of the faithful, twice pretended his wife was his sister in Genesis 12, verses 13, and also in chapter 20 and verse 2. Moses, the human deliverer of Israel from Egypt, had a fiery temper and was, by his own admission, a completely inadequate speaker. David, who was a man after God's own heart, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, was guilty of adultery and murder. Elijah boldly confronted hundreds of false prophets in the name of the God of Israel, and then, in doubt and fear, ran, from, ran for his life from Jezebel. Isaiah the noble prophet confessed to being a man of unclean lips. Peter, the leader of the twelve apostles, openly confessed that he was a sinful man in Luke five eight, and proved it by vehemently, repeatedly denying the Lord in Matthew. And so we see that the apostle John also was the apostle of love, who was also a son of thunder who jealously sought to curtail the ministry of someone who was not part of his group. You can find that in Mark chapter 3 and in Luke chapter 9. And later he wanted to call down fire from heaven to incinerate a Samaritan village that had rejected Jesus. So we see here that we read this scripture and find these great men of God in our eyes. And yet they were just like you and I. Just like you and I. I know I've told the teenagers this story many of times, but I, I, I hated in, in high school, I hated giving speeches. I could not stand in front of people and, and talk about anything uh, for longer than like, Ten seconds. I literally could not do it. I hated it. And I said, I will never, ever, as long as I live, I will die before I speak in front of people. I will will never do it. I I will die before I ever sing in front of somebody. I will never never be able to do these things. And so here we see that God is not wanting a a vessel that that is puffed up in some way. God just wants somebody that wants to be used. God wants an an earthen vessel, a, a clay vessel here. And Paul was merely another in a long line of these clay pots that God has successfully used. And the genuineness of his apostleship in spite of his humanity is evident not from uh, not, not from his human abilities, skills, or achievements, but from his spiritual character. And this passage unfolds seven spiritual charis- characteristics that Marked Paul as a very useful clay pot. And if you're writing this down or taking notes, you can write this down. These seven things that that he was, he was humble. He was a humble servant. He was invincible. He was sacrificial. He was fruitful. He was faithful. He was hopeful. And he was worshipful. If you want all those, I can give them to you after service. But there's seven things that, that Paul was that made him a, a useful uh, clay pot in, in God's hands. And so earlier in the first book to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 26-29. to 29. He says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, the things that are despised, hath God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now we begin to see one of the unexplained paradoxes here of the Bible. Because of the filling of God's Holy Spirit, these unimpressive earthen vessels became remarkably resilient to the challenges of life. They became or become those incredible beacons of light in any culture. Through any challenge and all persecutions, beyond all any, any political leader at any time, we see these men. So number one, well, I'll, I'll try to go quick with these. Number one, affliction does not bring destruction. And this is the part of, of, of the verse that I was talking about earlier that... That is so awesome to me in 2 Corinthians 4 8 through 9. It says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And so I want to look at these uh, individual words here in this passage, and this is the, the coolest part of this message here for me. So I, I've been excited to share this with you. When we break down verse 8, the first word there is, We are troubled. To be troubled means to press hard upon, to be in a, in a narrow place. Simply put, it means to be under pressure. And let me see the the next part of that verse. It says, yet not distressed. Not distressed means not crushed. And so we see here it says, troubled, we're we're pressed hard upon. We're we're under a lot of pressure. We're under a lot of things, but we're not crushed. But we're, we're, we're not completely destroyed. The next part of this verse uses the word perplexed we are perplexed. That, that simply means to, to be without resource. And then we see the next part, but not in despair. Not in despair means we're not destitute of resource. Next part, it is as if Paul was at a loss, but not a total loss. Like he was at the brink of defeat, but not defeated. We see the next one in verse 9 says, persecuted, Made to run means to, to be driven away, to be hunted. But we see that not forsaken means that being not abandoned. The Lord didn't leave him while he was on the run. He was right there with him this whole time. And the last part of this says cast down. Uh, to be thrown down as in, a, as in a wrestling match. To be cast down away from. And we see this last part saying not destroyed. Not means not ruined. He basically said, hey, I've been knocked down, but I'm going to get up again. I've been knocked down, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep getting up. I may, be, may have been knocked down, but I'm, I'm not out. And for an earthen vessel to endure all of this only magnifies the life of Christ. I constantly tell our teenagers, hey, you're going to be persecuted for doing right. You're going to be made fun of for doing the right thing. You're not going to be maybe the most popular person at your school for standing up against the wrong things that are that are thrown at you. You might not be the most popular person for going to church. You might not be... Uh, the most uh, invited person to every party and everything that might go on because you proclaim to be a Christian and because your friends know that you are a Christian. You might not get invited to the parties on Friday nights and you might not be able to play all the sports that you want to and the practices are on Wednesdays when you're coming to church, but let me tell you something. It's far more worth serving God and doing the things of God than it is those things. All of this enhances the life of Christ demonstrated in us Paul probably would not have been able to say all these different things hey I I may be troubled but I'm not distressed without the without the help of God I may be persecuted but I'm not forsaken without the help of God I may be cast down but but I'm not destroyed without the help of God listen how do we get through hard times in our life when, 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 when everything seems to be going wrong, when everything seems to be crashing down, when our world seems to be falling apart, I often tell Kayla and, and my family, I don't know how people make it on a day-to-day basis and when these big things come into our life and we lose a loved one or whatever it may be without, without Jesus Christ. I don't know how people do it because when, when our whole world falls apart, when my whole world falls apart, the first thing that I do is, is go to Jesus. The first thing that I do is go run to him and cling to him because there's nothing else to run to or cling to. There's nothing else. I I don't know how people find satisfaction in other things. I don't know how they make it. I don't know how they make it day to day whenever a loved one passes away. How do you keep on going when you don't have the, the peace of them knowing God or have the peace of God living in your life? How do you honor God in these hard times? And we see that Paul and everything that he was through and many different ones in the, in the scriptures, when, when tough times came, they didn't, they didn't quit and say, whatever, all right, I'm leaving. I'm done. I give up. Throwing in the towel. We don't see that. We see verses where Paul's saying, God, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to keep trusting you. God, I, I don't know why you keep on allowing these people to persecute me, but I'm going to keep proclaiming your name until, until they kill me. I'm going to keep going. And they all find that power, they all find that hope, they all find that security in Jesus Christ. And Christ is demonstrated through those actions. Number two, affliction is the purpose of purification. Affliction is the purpose of purification. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory charles spurgeon wrote this god's choice makes us chosen men choice men we are chosen not in the palace but in the furnace In the furnace beauty is marred fashion is destroyed strength is melted glory is consumed yet here eternal love reveals its secrets i was uh, i might have even said this in here but i was telling our teenagers a few months ago that in order to create a diamond there has to be a lot of pressure right there has to be a lot of pressure that has to go through to, to form that. And we said that pressure creates diamonds and fire refines gold. And you have to go through that fire, you have to go through that, that process of, of, of pain in order for there to be a, a beautiful piece of, of diamond or a beautiful piece of, of gold at the end of that. There's a process of how it all gets refined. There's a process of everything that, that has to happen, and here this affliction is, is, for the pur- is for the purpose of purification. All too quickly, we, we think, with my purification and my understanding of, of why God puts us through fire, however, this is stopping God short of God's ultimate purpose of bringing glory to himself. Certainly, here as James writes, adversity brings completion in the life of the believer. But the purpose of this is ultimately to bring glory to God. The whole reason that we that we go through this is to bring glory through God, go- glory to God. As we were at the funeral home today, hearing the different ones saying, "We're just going to keep praying. We're just trusting in God. That's the only way we're going to get through this. We're going to keep praying and trusting and believing, and and God knows what He's doing. God has a purpose. God has a plan." For why this is all going on and and to help us and and to to help us through this situation. The only way that that we're going to make it, the only way that we're going to be able to to go through this is is with God. Number three, affliction brings about transformation. Affliction brings about transformation. And with this, I'll I'll, I'll be finished. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And this passage was, was written to the nation of Israel and has, a, has an application for us today. Transformations usually come at a great cost. We're getting ready to come around the first of the year. It's a time that every workout place in Columbus loves. Uh, they're, they're excited because we're all getting ready to, to start working out. We're all going to start, you know, eating right. All the health food stores, they're going to start to make all their money. Here we go. And and this this passage here, this transformation comes at a great cost. Hey, if, I, if we want to be transformed and eating healthy or, you know, lifting weights or getting muscle or whatever it is, it's going to cost, right? I can't just go home and sit on my couch and eat Breyer's ice cream and, and watch Andy Griffith if... I want to, to lose weight or if I want to get ripped or whatever I'm trying to do. There's no way. I'm not going to be able to just sit there and go watch seven hours of Netflix and sit on the couch and expect my biceps to get bigger and just and look at them and be like, why aren't y'all getting any bigger? What's going on? You know, there's nothing, there's nothing that I can, why? Because if I'm going to transform my body, if we're going to transform, I don't know if anybody has any goals of doing that this year, but if we're going to transform our bodies, it's going to cost us. We're going to have to get up early. We're going to have to go run. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that. We're going to have to go lift weights. We're going to have to do sit-ups. We're going to have to eat the right things and eat salad and eat rabbit food and whatever else we have to do in order to lose, don't eat anything, to lose weight, to transform. It's going to, to cost us something in order to do that. Transformation normally comes at a great cost. The cost to transform a piece of land and take out a bunch of trees into you know, form that land is expensive, but not nearly as costly as what we often personally experience in God's work of transforming our lives. A little illustration here. Mount Rushmore was built with, with some of the harshest tools known to man during its construction. They used dynamite, they used monster chisels and hammers and all this, all this stuff in order to create this, this beautiful masterpiece. And I've never seen Mount Rushmore. I've never been there uh, in person. I've seen it in pictures. But um, it, you would often think by looking at that, that, man, somebody got up there on, on that rock wall and they were out there with like a little set of tweezers and, you know, maybe a little file, and they were out there getting every, every little thing right with those guys. But that was not completed with a, with a manicure set. Uh, That that mountain, that beautiful masterpiece, was not completed by by a bunch of people on some scaffolding up there, you know, chiseling away with a bunch of little things. No. It was a a costly, uh, expensive, uh, crazy, explosive thing that was done with with great hammers and chisels. God is not likely to use a, a manicure set to transform your life or mine. There's a thing that we've watched in teens before. It's called God's Chisel, and it's a guy standing there and he's looking at a mirror. And God, I'll give you the short version. God comes off. It's a little skit. Guy comes out who's playing who's playing God and is asking him some questions. And it's kind of a funny thing yet serious. And uh, he's asking him, you know, to get rid of some of his love handles and some of this stuff. God comes out with like a chisel and hammer, and he's asking him to get rid of these things. And, and God says, "When you look in the mirror, who do you see?" And he says, well, I, I see myself. So God takes out his hammer and chisel and starts chiseling away. And during the whole thing, the whole, the whole skit, the whole thing through this is, is when you look in the mirror, you ought to be able to see God and not yourself. He's saying, I want to I go through and I'm going to take everything. I'm going to chisel off everything that, that looks like the world and that looks like you and that is jealousy and this sin and, and this pride and this envy and these different things. I'm going to go through and I'm going to chisel away until you resemble me, till there's less of you there and and more of me. And God is not likely to use a manicure set to transform your life. He's more often to use the hammers and the chisels. He's often more direct than we would like for him to be. It is only under these circumstances that we can be made into a vessel of his liking. A.W. Tozer said this, if God has singled you out to be a special object of his grace. You may expect him to honor you with stricter discipline and greater suffering than less favored ones are called upon to endure. Hey, if you want to to, to serve the Lord, there's going to be a higher standard to those than, than, that aren't serving the Lord. You're going to have to do things that not everybody else is, is doing. There, you're going to have to put sacrifice. There's going to be things that you're going to have to give up. Can't keep on continuing to to live the same life if you want to keep on going. Just like if we're, we're talking about to, to gain muscle or to lose weight or whatever it is during the year. There's going to be things that you're going to have to put away. No more brownies. No more Culver's ice cream. No more Chick-fil-A Sundays. No more Chick-fil-A sandwiches. No more McDonald's. No more Frappes. No more Starbucks. It's all gone. Only milk and cheese and bread. That's it. That's all we can have. No. There's things that we have to put away. There's things that we have to get rid of. There's things that we have to take out of our life and say, you know what, hey, I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to continue to follow down this path that, that God is leading me down. I'm going to to put things aside. I'm to to put things away from me that are hindering me from, from serving God and doing what God has said. Oswald Chambers said, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. And I would submit this to you tonight, that, that there are few ways in which we can honor God more than by choosing to trust him, even in the furnace of affliction. Uh, the question that remains is, will you submit yourselves to his will Even if that includes the the hammer and the chisel. There's things in life that that we don't understand. There's things in life that that we can't comprehend. There's things that go on that we don't understand why. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? I was thinking this week uh, with everything going on, I don't mean to keep mentioning this, but different ones passing away. And I was also at my grandmother's house and my grandfather passed away. Back in 1994, and was a, was a pastor, and and traveled all over the all over the U.S. preaching and, and teaching the gospel. And I remember growing up and thinking, why, why did my grandpa, why, why did my grandpa have to pass away? Why, why was it my, why was it my granddad that was that had to, that had to die? Why? And I remember my family saying, why, 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 why? And we ask all these questions of of why did this person have to pass away, or why did this have to happen, or why did I get sick, or why did they get sick, or or why did this have to go on. And as we read that last thing, I want to read it again. To choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a different thing. No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, just as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. And I, 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 I know it was short tonight, but I, that was something that was on my heart. And I don't know what's going to happen this year. Don't know what's going to happen next week. Don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And as we start a new year, I want, I want you to, to be able to put your faith in God, to be able to put your trust in God and honor him, even in the good times and in the bad, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what, no matter what goes on in our life, no matter, no matter if it's good or bad or a difficult time or a time of joy, that we can always trust in God. That we can always believe in him. We can always trust that no matter what happens, that God is going to be on our side. And so as we, as we go through tonight, as we finish out this week and start a new year this week, I want you to be reminded of that. That even in hard times, we can continue to honor God. Even in difficult times, we can continue to, to serve God and to love God because God knows best. Even in times where our, our finite minds don't understand, God understands and God has a bigger picture and a bigger plan far 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 beyond than what we can see and what we know. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to pray and uh we'll pray and, and just ask God to be with us as we as we start a new year and this week and that he will continue to show us and help us through through everything that goes on. Life is something that is so sweet and yet so short. And that in in these hard times and times of difficulty and, and circumstances and situations that are tough, we know that we can still call upon God.